and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast, funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord Community Patreon. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legends of the Five Rings. I'm Korva. And I am Kikita Kaori. Today we are going to be looking at a new fiction by Murray Brennan called Questionable Shelter, and we're going to have a look at the things we learn about Rokugan from that fiction, and we're also going to have a discussion about the possible repercussions of that fiction, which could be very interesting and long-ranging. So <laughs> that's what we're going to be doing. But first... Yeah, we have some news. The book Curse of Honor by David Annadale from Aconite Press is now out. It came out on October 6th, and I have my copy, and uh, I am reading it. I haven't finished it yet. Uh, good so far, though. Right now, I think the main character is not is supposed to have a turn towards darkness. Uh, you know, the first the main character for the first part of the book is not necessarily the main character for the second part of the book. But uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, if uh, you will recall back, we had a lovely interview with the author. Uh, at Gen Con this year. So if you have picked up that book and want to go back and check that out, that uh, is available on YouTube. So you can go check that out. And we also have, there's a, FFGR starting a, a kind of community thing where people are sending in photos and anecdotes of what we're doing in the quarantine. So basically you'd be putting up a particular hashtag and chuck that out onto the, the social medias so you can find out um, what everyone else is doing with with FFG things, including uh, Legend of the Five Rings, obviously. Um, Hashtag is FFG Play and Share. And if enough people do this, then it's going to unlock levels of cards, uh, special cards in the game that you can... that will be sent out, but you can also print and play with. So I don't know exactly what this is, and, and I know that most of our audience is going to be focused on the role-playing game, um, but we can go ahead and flood FFG's airways with pictures of us playing the role-playing game because we're just as cool as anybody else. Um, and and if you can get some crossover into the... Uh, LCG as well. I'm sure those who use the cards would enjoy and appreciate that. So, absolutely. So, uh, we'll put a, a link to that in our show notes and in the description and everything like that. So, you can go check that out. In the meantime, we have a new fiction. Uh, the fiction is Questionable Shelter by Marie Brennan. And in this fiction, you know, spoilers to all who haven't read it. Go read, it, go read it now if you like. Uh, Ayuchi Shahai and Hantai Tesetsu, under the names Kane and Akio, are in Dragonlands, headed to Kan Bulak with Togashi Mitsu, who's disguised as Minoru. They are pretending to be peasants and hanging around doing peasant things and are stuck in the mountains in a snowstorm. And they encounter a group of Perfect Land sect, including the Ronin Ichiru, Sato, and Yuki. 
Now, these perfect land sect members enthrall Daisetsu with their teachings, and he decides to stay the winter with them. <gasps> Rebellious teen that he is. Yep. And in, in a sense, that's pretty much it. It sounds like not a lot happens, but actually, <laughs> we, we t- uh, the, the journey of getting there is very important, and we get a lot of insights into how they have been getting on since we last saw them, and what specifically Togashi Mitsu has been having to deal with this whole time. And I think we get a lot of insight into his character and Daisetsu's in this. Yes, he spends a lot of time thinking about what a brat Daisetsu is being. <laughs> he is 14. He is 14. In he is case. 14. He's, he is 14, and he's under a lot of stress and strain. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, having looked at the fiction itself, uh, very briefly, because... When you summarize it, it's very it's very small, but it is very good, and and you, you do learn a lot. Uh, let us move on and have a look at some of the Logan nuggets. What what do we find out about Rock again from this fiction, and what callbacks are there to previous fiction? And there is one thing which I completely missed, which is that three of these perfect land sect we have met before. Indeed, <laughs> it's pretty hilarious. So, yes, uh, Ichiro is the runaway son of the Miramoto Daimyo, who has forsaken his position to join the Perfect Land sect of this group. So we've met him before. Sato is a ronin who was a student of Kitsuki Shoman. She was the person in Into the Garden of Lies who was being questioned by the scorpion um, about her student. Uh, she left because of the way Shoman was treated in Ryoko Awari and became a member of the Perfect Land sect. And Yuki, who's you know not a ronin or, or doesn't appear to be a ronin, is actually the cover persona of Shoshiro Miyaku, who is spying on the Perfect Land sect. So she is having a day. Everybody is having a day, but just by coincidence, they've run into this group of three people that they um, already know, <laughs> that, that have already shown up in the stories that are all the perfect Landsect members except the boss. We, we, think, we think that the other two, because there's actually a group of five of them, I think, the other two we don't think have shown up before, but we could be wrong. <laughs> they may have been mentioned. But certainly the the big three, other than the big boss, the well, it's not really the boss, but the the person who was uh, in Seas of the Wind, the who who prophesied the return of Shinsei. Other than him, pretty much everyone who's been an important character is now showing up here, which is faintly amusing. Yeah, we do learn a few things about Togashi Mitsu, as we have learned in the Dragon novella. The Togashi tend to remember their past lives, and they are always Togashi. So they, they each each life they come back and end up back in the high house of light. And so Mitsu remembers some of the things that he's done, which pos- possibly includes traveling with another prince on the run back in the seventh century. So I, I guess, but a less willing one, a less willing, <laughs> a less willing one, yeah, even less willing. <laughs> so apparently, history really does repeat itself. 
Yep. And he remembers being a courtier and a warrior, all these different mm. lives. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. That's the big one he remembers. Mm-hmm. He also, so the, when he encounters the Ronin, they are roasting and eating a deer, uh, which is something we haven't seen a lot of in Japan. And, and I thought it would be, people would want to know why. Or in, both in Japan and in Rokugan. In Japan, deer are considered sacred. They're considered divine messengers. In Rokugan, well, a deer would be the symbol of the deer clan, uh, but Quartz Stone doesn't actually explain why the deer clan picked deer as the symbol for the deer clan. However... Oh, I think I know, yeah. <laughs> in old lore, uh, deer, or specifically white deer, would carry messages from heaven to the emperor. Uh, there's a story uh, of the original Kami hunting a white stag, but they find they, together, uh, they find they cannot catch it until Hante goes alone after it, and then the stag stops to give him a special message that he never reveals, but it's supposedly a divine message. Um, so, that those are cool things, and maybe... Um, you know, part of the symbolism that intentionally or unintentionally got slipped in there uh, for deer. Now, anyway, so that's kind of cool. And in Japanese poetry, I don't know a huge amount of Japanese poetry, I'll admit, but I do know that the deer's cry, because if you, like, Jap Japan is, is like 70% mountain. So most of the time, wherever you live, you're near mountain and thus near wilderness, and therefore, the, you will hear the deer. And it's a very common thing in autumn to hear the the stags calling. That's the thing that they do. And that becomes associated in Japanese poetry with sadness and melancholy and calling for one's lost love, as well as being a, a symbol of autumn. So I think the the the... Melancholy and calling for one's lost love might be where the deer clan symbolism comes from. Um, that's a bit of a guess because I'm not, I'm not, I am very much not an expert, but it's a thing I heard. <laughs> um, in general, samurai would not eat meat, including deer, but peasants, peasants can and do uh, eat what what Mitsu called it autumn leaves, which is what he called deer in Dragonlands, which I thought to go along with the mountain tuna, you can eat autumn leaves um, and probably do in most places where poaching is not forbidden. And a lot of places poaching is forbidden. So that's, you know, they wouldn't eat there. It might be the samurai hunt them deer under those circumstances and potentially leave it for um, the the hymen to, to eat. Uh, we've seen places like where that has happened in fictions. Autumn leaves. A lunch of autumn leaves and mountain autumn tuna. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Shahai is noted as having a very distinct unicorn accent that... Mitsu worries would be obvious and noticeable even to commoners in other lands. Uh, I don't know whether the unicorn specifically have this very distinct accent because in theory, everyone's got an accent. So the worry could well be that you've got 
Daisetsu with his very distinct upper class Otosanuchi accents. Now, this is this is very clearly someone speaking like a noble, together with someone who's very clearly speaking like unicorn. I don't want, yeah, that would. But he's he's particularly worried about Shahai's unicorn accent. So that's kind of interesting. I'll be. It's an interesting. I would I would I would be interested to know whether or not the unicorn do have a very very distinct accent. Whereas other people say, like, oh no, that's that's I can tell that person's from the south. I can tell that person from the west. Oh, but but the that unicorn accent that really stands out. So she's been trying to kind of hide that as part of their cunning disguise, which the um, perfect land people see through. At least with um, Togashi Mitsu, it's like I am Minoru. I am just you're Togashi Mitsu, aren't you? Yes, <laughs> which I thought was rather funny. I, <laughs> I, I think that uh, I, I think that it's it's obvious you don't come from the U.S. because plenty of people in the U.S. will say I don't have an accent. Oh, they do. They say that. Everyone says that, and it's lies. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> but I, I note that he wasn't worried about hiding his distinctive dragon accent, and he wasn't worried about hiding Daisetsu's distinctive capital accent. So that was that was kind of interesting. Um, the other thing I thought was amusing as a side effect. I'm just I'm just laughing at Mitsu today, but the, the side effect of ah, I must activate my amazing tattoos so I can see really clearly with my wolf tattoo and you know be incredibly stealthy. And oh, I don't actually need to fight these guys now. I need to go get my cloak, which I threw off. So my tattoos. Oh, oh, oh that that was very funny because when he broke into the room to to go rescue them he had taken off his cloak taken off his shirt so that he could activate his tattoos so he walks into the room he's got dragon tattoos all over his body he's this big muscle get bound guy and uh he, I'm in disguise he you says, don't know who I, I am I'm, I'm Minoru and, and the perfect land sect members are like Ichiro is like you Togashi Mitsu because everybody in the whole empire has got it. Well, especially when you think about it, the son of the Miramoshi Daimyo would know. And also Sato was a student of Kitsuki Shomon. So again, another dragon connection there. And and so forth. But yeah, then, then he's, you know, I now have to go get my cloak, which is a little bit away in the snow. <laughs> Being a Tagashi, it, it's a burden. It's a complete burden. All, uh, all these dramatic reveals do have their cost. <laughs> anyway, we talked, we've talked in past fictions about the teachings of the Perfect Land sect, but these are what really enthrall um, Daisetsu um, because it, they so, tie in so much to what he's thinking right now. So, you know, they teach about Shinsei and they teach about the Perfect Land that... Shinsei will take you to if you plead with him during your life by reciting the Kie. Um, and then he will go to the perfect land and you can achieve enlightenment in the comfort of the perfect land. And right now, the reason it's so hard to achieve enlightenment on earth, on, in Ningendo, is that this is the age of declining virtue and it's the failings of the samurai specifically that are behind all of the empire's many, many woes. So Daisetsu is seeing from his own life and the artificial world that he has grown up in 
the hypocrisy of the samurai, all right? And that latches straight into the, all the failings of the empire are because of the samurai, and it becomes pure fodder for his, his teen anger. And we, and we know that this thing is just pure fodder for teen anger, because otherwise Ichiro wouldn't have, like, bailed on his dad and joined Perfect Land. So this is just a custom-built religion for angry teenagers. Well, specifically angry, privileged teenagers. Angry, privileged teenagers. Yeah, because, you know, Ichiro was, you know, the son of the Miramoto Daimyo. So that's, which is actually fairly high up when, when you think about it. Oh, yeah. So we cover the fiction itself and the various information about the world and about previous fictions that we have gleaned from it. But we do need to talk about the potential ramifications of this. Where is this going to go? What might happen next? What is this, essentially, what has this taught us about Daisetsu and where his plotline might be going? The obvious question is, is he going to become an adherent of the Perfect Land sect? And what might that mean? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. Um, I think it's pretty obvious that he is going to become pretty enthralled with it. He already is. So, uh, and if he's going to stay there a whole winter uh, doing these things he's never done before, he does not strike me as the kind of person who, especially as described in the story, is going to be upset at some physical hardship of living like a hymen and give up on it because of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think there's a, a couple of things that I that that kind of leap out at me. One is that I think he's, he is very much going to respond to the ideas of age of declining virtue. This is a fault of you know, the people in charge and perhaps this division between upper and, and yeah, high people and low people isn't what it needs to be, which is not necessarily go, going to translate to, I now believe in the perfect land, although it might do. Although yeah, it certainly is a possibility. Because he has yet to hear Mitsu's counter-arguments. And there are counter-arguments to, like in the real world, with the Pure Land, Pure Land Buddhism. There are people who say, you know, it, there, are, there are disagreements with the people, people who say that this is a not, doesn't, it isn't going to take you to the true enlightenment. And other people say, well, actually, no, this is the other, this is why it will, and so on and so forth. So Mitsu hasn't got his chance to reply yet. So we'll see what happens. And I think... That certainly, regardless, this is going to take Daisetsu more on a path towards compassion towards those lower in station, even further than he was already going, and is going to make him dissatisfied with the, the way the, the current rulership is going. I think that's going to have all sorts of interesting ramifications. But we also get some interesting insights into his character, admittedly his 14-year-old bratty teenage character, with the way he... He's kind of dismissive towards Shahai at certain points. Admittedly, she's an older lady. She's she's an actual grown up, whereas he's a kid. But they she's do like eighteen, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they do seem to be very affectionate. That's actually one of the problems that Mitsu's having is that they they are getting closer and closer, and he's not quite sure what to do about it. But at the same time, he also just well, why don't you just go ahead to Tunicorn Lands then? Puh. Why don't you why don't you head off on your own? Right. He's still just as imperious. And the other thing is is that 
So, so there's one way he can. This can end. He could be persuaded somewhat by Mitsu. Uh, he and and potentially go back to the capital in one way or another. All right, with a greater understanding of the life of Hemen. Or he could join the Perfect Land sect completely, uh, but become a more militant version of that and start you know, using his title and stuff to build himself an army that's aligned with Perfect Land set to enforce his changed world. I mean, he could do that because they are not at all above fighting. They don't have the power yet, but they are... They they. If you read Sato's fiction, she's, she's ready to beat people up. There's no pacifism in their religion. They, they just don't have power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, um, you know, then you end up with an eco-eeky kind of peasant rebellion, but a bunch of samurai join it because it's being led by Daisetsu. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's, you know, one an eco-eeky rebellion. Right, one of them, and probably like the most legitimate, especially if yeah. uh, Sotori comes back and acts like a jerk. There's another option that I could see coming out of this, which is something happens in the Perfect Land set while he is there that causes him to see that it is not only the hypocrisy of samurai, but there is hypocrisy in the perfect land sect. Right. Okay. Um, and that would cause him to strike out on a different direction and potentially, you know, glimmer of hope for all the Shadowlands players out there, potentially cause him to strike on, on his own and get into much more of a burn it all down. I've seen how the samurai do it. I've seen how the peasant leaders, you know, anti-samurai do it, burn burn it all down and rebuild it from scratch. You are all hypocrites. Depends on how goth he goes and who influences him at that point. So um, those are the ways that I think that it could go. But of course, none of this we know. Just speculating. It's lots of, yeah, a great deal of, of speculation going on, which is, which is perfectly fine. Um, what yeah, I'm. 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 St I still don't particularly see him going the Shorida route simply because it's there. It's it's the opposite way. It's completely the opposite way to. Oh, it's not. I'm not thinking Shorido. Um, that's a uh, for those who don't know. Shorido is a anti um, Bushido uh, philosophy, kind of made to be the opposite, and is formed around the concept of individual strength rather than community-centeredness, uh, individual-centeredness instead of community-centeredness, and it's meant to be the guiding philosophy of uh, that the Shadowlands or the Spider Clan uh, develops in the later part of the CCG timeline. Mm -hmm. And it was, was specifically designed to be something that would corrupt people and lead them into evil, basically. Well, you know, at least into significant individualism, which is a good place to start from 
for evil. I don't think he's going. You know, it would be that. It no. would be more a kind of a, a, a I want to say a, a temper tantrum. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, uh, like for example, something happens that causes uh, Shahai to Maho to get them out of something, right? And then other stuff happens, but. Yeah, it would be a it would be a, a burn it all down kind of temper tantrum if that would kind of if that would do it. I won't rule it out because I know too much too much Shadowlands player hope hangs on that. But uh, go read the story. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you want to have happen. That would be great. <laughs> yeah, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, there is a very variety of ways you can get in contact with us. Um, if you're on listening to this on the podcast. Then you can find our website, uh, which is courtgamespod.com. Um, you can tweet us at twitter.com slash courtgamespod. If you're linked to this on YouTube, which is sometimes this is on YouTube, then, then we will read those comments. If you, place, if you put it there, there's loads of ways of getting into contact with us, and we would love to hear from you. Or on the on just on just the Discord, um, where we talk about these things in Court Games Talk. But uh, this is a call out to our uh, other court games shows, uh, the L5R LCG podcast. They had a nice interview with Tyler that just came out. Uh, we have two actual play role playing podcasts, Crimson Cold Agonies and Fortune and Strife, and also our new podcast with Nick uh, from Japan called Tokyo of the Five Rings. And also wanted to call out our friends at D20 Radio. You can find us at our website, courtgamespod.com. You can find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash courtgamespod. And you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash courtgames. Yes, our content is funded by the Community Discord Patreon, and the Patreon supports our editing costs as well as our website. And you can see and store longer-term information there. We'll have summaries of our podcasts and role-playing game tools and more. And for our patrons, we try to have some bonus content. I'm a little behind on writing my adventure seeds. Sorry about that. Um, but we do have early access to our actual pay podcast. And of course, it uh, does support our show here. But that's it for us this week. This is Kikita Kaori. May the fortunes favor you. And I've been Korva. Until we meet again, keep your jade handy. Radio, your game is wrong.